Chapter 9 of the Pony Rider Boys in New England. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Pony Rider Boys in New England by Frank G. Patchen. Chapter 9 Bear Steak for Breakfast. Without further delay, Vaughn cut the throat of one of the dead bears that the animal might bleed freely. You should always do this as soon as possible, boys, he informed them. However, do not make the mistake of going to the animal until you have put another bullet in his head after you think you have shot him dead. Claws are dangerous weapons. I will now show you how one man may hang the bear and do his own work of dressing the beast. Any one of you could do it, and you may have occasion to do so. Cal dragged the bear, head foremost, to a sapling. He then cut three poles of about ten feet in length, with crotches near the ends. Next, he amazed his pupils by climbing the sapling until it bent down with him. "'Think I've gone crazy?' smiled the guide. The boys were too interested to answer. The top of the sapling was well trimmed off with a hatchet, leaving the stub of one stout branch near the top. Removing his belt, Vaughn fastened it around the bear's neck and then slipped the loop over the end of the sapling, which he was holding down with one hand and the weight of his body. He let go of the sapling, which, acting as sort of a spring pole, raised the carcass slightly. The crotches of the poles were then placed under the fork of the sapling, the butts of the poles outward, thus forming a tripod. Cal next pushed first on one pole, then on another. With each push, the dead bear was raised a little higher until its body finally was clear of the ground, and only the hind claws trailing the earth. "'Easy when you know how, isn't it?' he smiled. The Pony Rider boys decided that it was. "'Now, in case I were not ready to butcher, I would build a smudge fire of rotten wood under the carcass, banking the fire well with stones to keep it from spreading. That would serve to keep away the blowflies and birds.' Beginning at the head, the guide skinned the animal in quick time. He then removed the entrails, and in a quarter of an hour announced that his task was completed. After the carcass got cold, he explained, he would split it in halves along the backbone and quarter it, leaving one rib on each hind quarter. "'Aren't we going to have any of it for supper?' wailed Stacy. "'No, indeed. You don't want to eat warm meat, do you?' I don't care whether it's warm or cold so long as I get the meat, the fat boy made reply. That proves it, declared Rector with emphasis. Proves what? demanded Stacy. That your early ancestors were cannibals. Chunky snorted disgustedly. Now do you think you boys could skin and dress a bear? asked Cale, surveying his work with critical eyes. I think so, replied Tad. Of course, we could not do it as skillfully as you have done, but we are learning fast. May we save the hide? I'm afraid it would be too much of a burden to carry. I will tell you what I will do. You see, I have cut off the head with the pelt. I will salt the hide well and cache it. Then, if I'm able to get in here some day soon, I will take the hide out and have it tanned for you. Thank you. May I try my hand on the other one? asked Tad. You surely may. Butler was rather clumsy in making his preparations. Twice did the sapling that he had climbed get away from him and spring up into the air. But Tad simply climbed the slender young tree again each time and bent it down. 
he finally succeeded in slipping his belt over the crotch after having passed it about the bear's neck. The rest was easy, so far as raising the bear was concerned. There, how is that? he demanded triumphantly. Just as well as I could have done it myself, said Vaughn, nodding approvingly. I thought you always hung them up by the heels, ventured Ned. Yes, it is common practice to hang up by the gambrels, with the head down, but when the head is up the animal is much easier to skin and butcher and drains better. Besides, it doesn't drip blood over the neck and head, which you may want to have mounted at some future date. Perhaps we had better bury this waste stuff, or we'll have all the bears in the section down on us first thing we know. By the way, we shall be having more bear here right along, on account of that oil of anise, so we shall have to move our camp. Then make Chunky strike camp, suggested Ned. He is to blame for all this trouble. I am inclined to agree with your last statement. However, we will see to that. Charlie will do all the necessary work. I'm sorry, for I wanted to go over and see my friend, said the guide. Didn't you go there today? asked Stacy. No, we took another course. You missed it not being along. No, I didn't. I had all the fun and excitement I wanted right here in the camp. You are the ones who missed something, declared Stacy. We didn't miss all of the fun anyway, replied Tad. How about the bear meat, Mr. Vaughn? Yes, don't we get any of that meat, urged Stacy. You shall have all you want for breakfast, but we shan't be able to carry much of it with us. Were we going to be here long enough? I would smoke some of it. If it were only winter, we should have enough meat to last us for weeks, answered the guide. In many respects, winter traveling in the woods is very desirable. Ever rough it in the winter? Tad said they had not, but that they hoped to do so sometime in the near future. Supper was a welcome meal that night, for everyone was hungry, because they had had a hard fifteen-mile journey on foot over rugged ground. Bear steak was served for breakfast. Yes, it was tough, but most of the party enjoyed it. Stacy ate and ate until they feared he would pop open, and Ned declared that Chunky would be growling like a bear before the forenoon came to an end. Enough meat for two more meals was packed away to carry with them, after which camp was broken, and before eight o'clock the Pony Rider boys were on their way. Their trail led them farther and farther into the dense forest. Vaughn had it in mind to make their next camp on the shores of a lake, where he thought that they might find something to interest them. The boys were willing. They were not particular where they went. It was all alike to some of them, ever new to others. Stacy cared only for what he found to eat, while Tad and Ned were for learning all they could about the woods and woodcraft, in all of which Cale Vaughn was an expert. Charlie John was proving himself a most useful man in camp, though Charlie was not to be depended upon when it came to fighting bear. He had proved another thing, too. He was an excellent tree-climber, and could make the first limbs of a tree quicker than any other member of the party, especially when there was a bear below, anxious to get a nip at the Indians' calves. They made their new camping place some hours before dark. Charlie already had picked out a pleasant campsite, a short distance from the shore of a little lake, screened by trees and foliage, but in plain view of the water. The natural instinct of the Indian had taught him to so place his camp that it could not be readily seen from either the lake itself or from the surrounding country. This trait will be found in the white woodsman as well, 
copying perhaps an instinct inherent in his animal ancestor of a few million years back. Now, said the guide, after the boys had pitched their tents, we haven't had a real lesson in preparing a cooking fire. I observe that you boys go at it in a sort of hit-and-miss way. You may have observed something of the woodsman's way of cooking by the manner in which Charlie fixed a fire in our camp yesterday. Yes, we did, answered Tad. I will go more into detail this time. The fire is more than half of good cookery in the woods, just as it is in your home kitchens. You need a small fire, free from smoke and flame, with coals and dry twigs in reserve. There must be a way of regulating the heat, just as in stoves, and there must be a rampart around the fire on which pots and pans will stand level and at the right elevation. Master Stacy, will you please fell a small, straight tree and cut from it two logs about six feet long, eight or ten inches thick? What? The guide repeated his request. Chunky hemmed and hawed. The fact is, Mr. Vaughn, I've got a weak heart. I'm afraid it would excite me too much to do that. You see, I have to be very careful. I will cut down the tree, said Ned, stepping forward. Yes, perhaps it would overtax Master Stacy. There's a good tree for the purpose just beyond where the professor is standing, Master Ned, nodded Cale. Ned took up the axe and attacked the tree with vigorous blows. He had taken but a few of these when the axe flew from the helve, narrowly missing the professor's head. Here, here, cried the professor. What are you trying to do? That was an accident, chuckled the fat boy. Stop it, yelled Ned. I agree with you, grinned the guide. That was almost more than I could stand myself. I shall forget myself and hit you with this axe helve if you get off anything like that again, Stacy Brown, threatened Ned Rector. Bad, very bad, agreed the professor. Shocking, nodded Tad. In the meantime, Cale was wedging the axe on the helve. Having completed his task, he handed the axe back to Rector, who, a few moments later, sent the tree crashing down. "'I guess you have handled an axe before,' said Vaughn. "'Yes, he is the champion wood-splitter in our town,' Stacy informed him. Cale flattened the top and one side of each log with the axe after Tad had finished Ned's job. These, the bed logs, the guide placed side by side, flat sides toward each other, about three inches apart at one end and some eight or ten at the other. By this time Charlie had gathered a supply of bark and hardwood, which he placed from end to end between the bed pieces and lighted the fire. While Charlie John was doing this, Cale planted at each end of the fire a forked stake about four feet high. Over these he laid a lug pole or cross stick of green wood. Two or three green crotches from branches were cut, a nail driven in the small end of each, and the contrivance hung on the lug pole from which to suspend the kettles. These pot hooks were of different lengths for hard boiling or for simmering. Those are lug sticks, explained Vaughn. A hook for lifting the kettles is a hook stick. I'll make some of those as soon as I finish with what I am doing now. In quick camp making, we sharpen a stick and drive it into the ground at an angle, and from this we suspend our kettle. That kind of arrangement up here in the main woods is called a wombeck or spigelia. Sounds like the name of a patent medicine, observed Chunky. I agree with you, smiled the guide. 
"'How did it get such an outlandish name?' questioned the professor. "'I'm sure I don't know. Only you will find lots of funny names up here in the wilds. For instance, the frame built over a cooking fire is called by the Penobscots Kitchipack Wagon. Some others call the Lugstick the Chiplock Wagon.' "'Taken from Chimpmunk Wagon?' nodded the fat boy wisely. "'No doubt,' replied the guide dryly. "'Some of the guides have changed it to Wagon Stick.' That makes me dizzy, declared Stacy Brown, passing a hand over his eyes. This here's another for you that will render you wholly unconscious, went on Kale. The gypsies call a pothook a Kika Visco Saster. How is that? Oh, help, moaned the fat boy. I should say that was about the end of the limit, declared Tad Butler. In windy weather, or where fuel is scarce, continued Kale, it is best to dig a trench eighteen inches wide, twelve inches deep, and say four feet long, instead of cutting down a tree for your bed logs. Make a chimney of flat stones or sod at the leeward end. This will give you a good draft. We did something like that in the Rockies, Tad informed him. Build a fire in this trench with fire irons or green sticks laid across it for the frying pan and a frame above for the kettles. And there you are. I'd like to see any kitchen do any better. I guess we never knew very much about camping, said Tad. We know how to eat, asserted Stacy. At least one of us does, agreed Rector. Know how to make a bake oven, questioned Cale. Hot stones are as near as I have come to making anything of that sort, replied Tad. I won't show you now because we are in a hurry for our supper. But some day, when we have nothing in particular to do, I will make one and we will bake some bread that you will say is equal to anything you ever had at home. How is that steak coming on, Charlie? Him smell like him done, answered the Indian. Serve it up. We are ready for it. Mr. Stacy is so hungry that he has shrunk to half his natural size. I'll be a skeleton if I keep on, agreed the fat boy. A steaming savory meal was served there in the great forest, with the odor of the pines mingling with those of bear steak and boiling coffee. To these hungry boys, it seemed that nothing ever had tasted so good to them in all their lives, and they did full justice to the meal, too. End of chapter 9 Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas